Look deeper into what you think you see. Feel for what you think you hear. Break free from the chains of an illusion. The Realist Juggernaut. There's a powerful force in realism. Welcome to The Realist Juggernaut. I'm your host, John Neff. Your co-host, Tony John, will be with us at a different time. He is on a much-needed vacation. So, hope he's having fun. But always remember... There's a powerful force in realism, where being real is always important. There are too many fake people in this world, and they will lie to you. I mean lie to you, to get what they want. So be a juggernaut. Welcome everybody to this edition of The Realist Juggernaut. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you had a wonderful New Year's. I have to thank all of you guys. All of you guys who have downloaded and shared and emailed and I am very grateful. I have to say that we have numbers that we can actually go by now. We are number 228 in news category in Apple Podcast. That is enormous for us. You know, it may not be to a lot of other people, but it's it's enormous. Um there are like thousands of podcasters out there. And we're at 228. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Keep downloading. Keep sharing. Keep emailing. Do whatever you got to do to spread our podcast. Because in the long run, in the end of the game of things, we are going to turn this into something much bigger. Eventually. And it will be amazing. I promise. But we got to work together. And... We have to, you know, do what we have to do to make this work. Today we have a show that is about children and technology. This is a subject that we all need to talk about. This is something that we all have to come together on. Because big tech is brainwashing your child brainwashing my child back in some time I wouldn't have thought that I always thought it did something with the kids but I never thought it was as harmful as it's turning out to be especially in development skills so there is a lot to be talked about in this subject and there is a lot to be learned um I feel that, you know, I needed to do a show on this because there's not enough people talking about it. Because you've got a lot of people out there that are too preoccupied to even care. So, and I'm not saying that nobody cares about their children or anything like that. What I'm saying is you're occupied. You're not paying attention enough. Where, you know, even even myself, I haven't paid attention enough. You know what I'm saying? I bought my child a cell phone at 12, but I did it for the mere fact that it could be traced, tracked, you know, with GPS. This way, you know, if anybody were to kidnap her, I might have a chance of finding out where she was last or where she may even be. So that's the main reason why. Now, is that an excuse to why I bought it? I don't know, but that is one of the reasons why I bought it. But I never knew it would change their attitude 
towards me or, you know, other people. These kids get addicted to this phone as if it's a drug. Um, even adults do. Constantly on it. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, post photos and then they want to see their likes and how many people like it. Families, whether you know it or not, are being torn apart. So if you're a family that has children and you bought your children a cell phone, you ever go out to a restaurant with them and try to eat a meal with them? Because at the same time that you're trying to eat a meal with them, they're on their phone scrolling. Even adults do it. But there's no communication. It's constantly quiet while all you hear is everybody chewing. It's not really normal. So... With that said, I decided to do a show um, because one of our viewers had emailed me a video, but you didn't leave your name. I would have gave you credit for the show for, you know, helping me decide what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do a show like this a while ago, but I kept forgetting about it. So to that person, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um... You gave me an idea for the show, and you gave me something uh, to make me do it. So, thank you. So, with that said, you know, um, we want to push big tech in a direction where they will respect us, number one. You know, stop censoring us. Stop showing us what they want us to see and not what we want to see but most important of all we want to stop big tech from brainwashing our children therefore we got to get the government involved with this because it's the only way um big tech does not give two craps about you or your child or who it affects they care about the dollar bill that they're raising every second of the day they make billions of dollars on every little thing. You may think that, oh yeah, Facebook's free. No, it's not. Because, you know, it's hurting you. You don't realize it. I'm not saying that you're, you know, you're destroying your intellect. Um, if you let it, it will. That's for sure. With all the information out there, that's that's positive. But, you know, if you're one of those people who are on it every now and then just to look, great, you're doing wonderful. Okay. Um, a lot of people are not. A lot of people are addicted to everything. They're addicted to Facebook, TikTok, all of it. They're they're literally just addicted. Okay. Um, so are your children. If you got them a phone, guarantee they're hiding in their room somewhere and they're on something they're not supposed to be on or viewing something they're not supposed to see. That's a guarantee. And these kids learn these phones as if, you know, it's like they got a dictionary on it and in their head. They know, you know, how to code things. They know how to hide things. They know how to whatever. But they know, okay? And But what, but what the, the serious situation with this is their attitude, depression, anxiety. Um, even some children's killed themselves. You know, some children um, think that they're too fat and ugly. You know, not only do they have to deal with that in school, being, you know, bullied and picked on, they have to be, you know, picked on on their phone, um, they're being picked on on their, you know, through text message, through Facebook, and then they, they end up harming themselves. So, 
there's not enough control and it's you know to these big tech companies that allow this stuff that go on so we can't allow that no more it's got to stop okay if we're going to buy our children technology then we need to make sure it's safe technology we need to make sure that you know, and put in input you know rules like in your household put rules on these things so this way you know there's a limited time so you know i'm not saying totally get rid of them but i mean i i will never buy another kid a cell phone at a young age i'm just letting you know that flat out just because it's too toxic for them um they can't handle it in reality so with that said, we have some videos um, by TEDx with Ben Helpert and Tanner Welton. We have also a movement that just came out, a new movement called Log Off Movement. You know, Log Off Movement, and that's at you know www.logoffmovement.org. I almost messed that up there. Sorry. Um, so that's www.logoffmovement.org, and uh, I suggest people to follow it, and you know help it move i'm surprised there's a group that's actually doing something about this and believe it or not they're teens themselves um so they've been through it and then we have a psychologist um she's on video talking about how this can you know damage your kids so and her name is katherine steiner adair and again she's a psychologist anyways with that said let's get on with the show Thanks. Do you feel addicted to technology? Yeah. Yes. I could stop if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I use my phone four hours a day, and Hulu and Instagram are my top used apps, and my mother is gonna kill me. This week was five hours. I use my phone for six hours a day. On an average per day on like a weekend, I'd spend two hours on my iPad and three hours on VR. I play video games, I watch YouTube. Weekly total is 45 hours and 26 minutes. 44 hours and three minutes. 52 hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> and my most used apps are TikTok and YouTube. How long on TikTok? <laughs> 16 hours and 20 minutes, and on YouTube, six hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> it's so addictive. I would say I'm very addicted to VR. I mean, it's a very addicting thing. I talk about it like 24 seven. I've had one of those nights where I'm just like, I need my phone. I need it, I need it, I need it. So I, I constructed myself this. It's my fake phone. It only has one app and the app is Grey's Anatomy. So I've just been watching a bunch of Grey's Anatomy on my phone. I need my phone to make me feel better just for a minute. I go down the YouTube rabbit hole a lot where you just like 
video and video and video. I don't stay away from it, I embrace it. I'll just like find myself spending more and more time on TikTok, usually at like 2 a.m. There's no other way to like entertain myself. Like if yeah. I'm bored, then it's just like, oh, well, YouTube. my phone's there, so. Yeah. able to talk to anyone if I didn't have Snapchat. I'd feel completely isolated. What people put on their Instagrams isn't like their everyday life. It's like the highlights of their lives. It's the sort of best parts. And when we try to make their highlights our whole lives, it gets kind of like obsessive. I feel like the amount of likes you get kind of ends up validating whether or not it's a good photo or it looked pretty in the photo. Other people liking it it's like, okay, they like me. I'm okay, I'm good. I value likes in the same way I like getting compliments. Nobody doesn't want a compliment. I use my phone a lot as a stress relief because there are a lot of things I have going on in my life. I don't have to worry about if my friends like or do not like the posts and the social stress that I get. What's addictive about Instagram is, you know, just it's an endless bowl of soup you just keep you keep going, you keep scrolling. I feel like I wouldn't have any friends if I didn't have my phone. If nobody else had a phone either, I don't think it would be much of an issue for me. But it's the idea of like me being the only one without social media or me being the only one without a phone and feeling like I'm the weird one. I'd say that the only real problem is Netflix. But you know, after a week, I've gotten used to not being able to watch it. But you know, I am exercising my restraint and I guess that's good for me. I also, put a cap on my social media I thought would be fun, shake things up, so I can only be on Instagram for one hour a day. Did this to myself. Yeah, having social media definitely made me feel bad. I feel like living in a non-digital world is like a lot better than like scouting like your life for like pictures. As social media use continues to rise among teenagers, so have rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. One teen was personally affected and she decided to take action. Emma Lemke created the Log Off Movement to encourage her peers to reduce their time on the internet and rethink their relationship to it. And Emma joins us live now this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you start by telling us your story of social media addiction. I understand that you joined Instagram at the age of 12. Yes, got it at the age of 12 in sixth grade. Um, started off with apps like Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, and I stayed on those apps largely for five to six hours a day up until the ninth grade, feeling as though my anxiety, my, my OCD, my self-image 
greatly decreased during that time. Um, and, and as a young woman, I felt as though my disordered eating really got worse. So in general, really felt the quality of my life decrease. So I turned in the ninth grade after having a breaking point, after hearing that buzz and having the Pelobian response to grab for it, I said, what am I doing? How is it that these apps can have so much control over me? And how can I really figure out what it's doing to me to then mitigate its harm? And what I found in all of that is there is a huge amount of data out there, and there's so many studies that prove the negative correlation between increased usages of social media and the decreased mental well-being of a lot of teens, but there were no teens in the space. So I decided to create LogOff as a means to create that community and for me to kind of have people there to, to make sure I didn't feel alone and that they didn't feel alone in having these negative experiences. And are you asking people to completely log off or just kind of find healthy habits? No, we are definitely not asking everyone to completely log off. Um, for me, I had to get off fully for a few months. A lot of our members, though, are not off. I am one of those. I still have Instagram. I still have Twitter. What we're really saying is you have to mentally log off, take a second, and reflect on your own screen time. Ask, what makes me happiest? Why am I on my phone right now? What doesn't make me the happiest? And from there, you can really curate your experience to be the most productive for the individual. What's this been like in, in your inner circle of friends? Have you had pushback? Any friends say, you know what, I appreciate what you're doing, but I'm not into it. You know, I got that from my sister, actually. So she's a huge TikTok fan. Um, but honestly, every conversation that I've had, um, even with her, with my friend group, um, is very open. And I, I think that it shows that a lot of people are willing to engage in the conversation. They're willing to sit down and say, you know what, I agree with you on this point. I disagree with you on that point. And that's kind of what Log Office is working to do. It's to destigmatize that conversation to be able to find healthier habits. But largely when the Social Dilemma released, when Frances Haugen released um, the Facebook papers, when a lot of those large media kind of uprisings came to fruition, more of my friends came to me and said, actually, Emma, like I have been struggling with this. I do feel like my body image is really deteriorating. Um, so it's been exciting to see that as those larger kind of pieces of information have come out, more people have been willing to engage and share their own experiences. Emma, before we let you go, I kind of want to ask you about your feelings on social media in tragic incidences. Um, in the Chicago area, we've been dealing with uh, a tragic shooting that happened yesterday during a 4th of July parade in Highland Park near us. Do you see the use of social media after this for other teens who may be watching as something that could be beneficial to connect with other people or something, hey, take a break and stay off because of the political conversations that may be surrounding it? What do you think would be the best way to, advice, I should say, to give to people? Yeah, and I think that's a really difficult question, especially because we have seen so many of these instances really sadly. Um, I think that it's twofold. I think for a lot of teens, I would say, check in on yourself. If you're scrolling and you feel like it is too overwhelming, absolutely take a step back. Um, if there are teens out there who see this and want to continue with advocacy efforts, they want to know more, um, I'd say, you know, scroll to see if you can find that community. But most likely there are communities outside of the social media container. And oftentimes what I found is it can be incredibly overwhelming. Um, and it's it can be really better to go to other external sources for information. Um, but using social media as that catalyst to find that information can be a method. Well, Emma, we really appreciate your time this morning. Do we get your age right that you're only 19? 
Yes, I'm 19. I'm well, a sophomore at WashU. You, you speak like a college professor <laughs> and uh, very impressed. And we really appreciate your, your uh, perspective and your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. You can find more information at logoffmovement.org. You can follow uh, their uh, social media accounts. nine years old when I had my first conversation about addiction. It still feels like yesterday. It wasn't drugs or alcohol. My drug of choice was a video game. You see, my parents had had this horrific divorce, and I suspect to ease the pain, my dad came home one afternoon with a brand new, state-of-the-art Atari 2600. <laughs> This was a very big deal. <laughs> Spending money was out of the norm for my dad. To this day, he still uses lemons and packets of sugar on his water instead of buying the lemonade at the restaurant. <laughs> but on that day, <laughs> on that day, after the excitement and shock wore off, my brother and I sat down, set up the console to start playing. Actually, I had to wait for my brother to leave for practice until it was my turn. But once it was my turn, I plugged in the game Pitfall, and I proceeded to play for hours. I can still actually remember the sound the cartridge made when you clicked it into place. <laughs> I kept the game's main character, Harry, running for hours, picking up jewels, jumping over alligators. If I missed even one, I would go back to the beginning and I would start again. I was relentlessly, in perfect, relentlessly pursuing perfection. I was obsessed with getting the perfect score. But this obsession didn't last long, because out of the corner of my eye, I saw Grandma Drake watching with concern. My grandmother was somebody I treasured deeply in my life. She was the person that kept me centered in a time full of divorce, poverty, and even occasional homelessness. My grandmother was somebody who, no matter what she said to you, it was always honest, sometimes brutally so. On that day, I continued playing. Remember, I was obsessed with getting a perfect score. And at last, I did achieve perfection. She had calmly sat there for hours, waiting for me, and then invited me to come talk to her in her room. It's something that she had done countless times before. But on this day, she sensed that there were some painful realities that I was ready to hear. She talked to me about my family, which I learned was wrought with addiction. Drugs, gambling, alcohol, you name it, we had it. But what I was surprised to learn was how deeply addiction ran in both sides of my family. You can say I was doubly blessed with what today I fondly call my genetic lottery. But sadly, I'm not alone. Scientists today estimate that over 50 million Americans will be struggling with the issue of addiction at some point in their lifetime. 
50 million Americans. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, pornography, sex, even online shopping can be an addiction. And today, these are some of our newest. The difference with what I call socially acceptable addictions is that we rarely discuss them. Trust me, no one set Grandma Drake down to have a conversation about her collection of over 2,000 zebras as a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we have a new socially acceptable addiction, and it is technology. <laughs> Every day, all around the world, children spend countless hours online posting to social networks, online gaming, and even just watching videos. The more alarming part about this is that many of these children are receiving their own personal devices now as early as six or seven years old. When you take into consideration the most recent census in the United States that recorded over 21 million children in the United States under the age of five, and you look at the research that says 85% of American parents have allowed these young children to go online weekly, and in many cases, daily since infancy, it means that in the U.S. alone, we have over 17 million children growing up endlessly connected to technology. So when we overlay this excessive use of technology at these critical developmental periods, of children's developing brains, it begs the question, could we potentially be creating a new generation of addicts? Let's take a look at the science. In this image, you see a healthy brain. That nice, robust red area is our dopamine receptors. In contrast, the brain of a drug addict. The dopamine receptors in this scan are significantly reduced. Now, most people still consider dopamine to be that neurochemical that makes us feel good. But scientists today understand that dopamine has more to do with motivation and reinforcement in our brain's reward center. You can kind of think of it as a do-it-again system rather than a feel-good system. An addict's brain is motivating them to do it again and again. But even natural rewards, like eating food, having sex, they, they produce the same neurochemical responses. The difference is, with drugs, our brain is flooded with up to 10 times more dopamine, which leads the user to repeat that behavior again and again, and it leaves more natural rewards feeling inadequate in comparison. So let's look at what it is to be a technology addict. The scan that we're going to see is a technology addict who has spent routinely eight hours online posting to social networks, playing online games, or viewing pornography. As you can see in the scan, the background looks a little different because it's really recent science, but it's the same type of scan that's looking at those dopamine receptors. You can tell that they've been impacted. And when we compare them next to the healthy brain, the damage, obvious. When we compare the technology addict to the drug addict, the parallel in the damage occurring, indisputable. So what does this all mean for us? Well, we're all wired to seek reward. 
And the tech companies, they now understand how to tap into our primal drives. Companies have begun hiring neuroscientists and behaviorists to work along with their programmers to develop products that keep users hooked. It has gone beyond the goal of merely producing useful products to the point where they are actively seeking ways to keep us all endlessly connected. And if that corporate strategy sounds familiar, it's because it is. One comedian recently said, Philip Morris only wanted your lungs. The App Store wants your soul. <laughs> I think we can all agree that addiction is complicated. It involves a relationship between a chemical or a behavior in concert with genetics, learning, or the environment. Substance addiction is more easily understood because when we take something into our body, we can feel it make a difference. But with behavioral addictions, it's that much harder to identify because there's no substance, and consequently, that much harder to understand. When we're talking about addiction, what we're really talking about is our brain's struggle for control. If we're able to avoid the substance or the behavior when it's causing us problems, great, we have no addiction issue. But when we lose control, and it starts to impact our relationships, our work, our school, our self-esteem, or even our emotional stability, then the vicious cycle of addiction begins. Microstructure abnormalities is a phrase that should stand out to all of us. There are hundreds of studies in development right now by scientists who are trying to find answers to provide us all guidance. Each of the studies is complex, but they're looking at minute regions of the brain and trying to help differentiate between a healthy brain and a brain of a technology addict. Here's the structure generally of a brain. On the outermost area, you can see that is our gray matter. It's primarily responsible for processing our information and our emotions. Housed deeper within the brain is our white matter. It's like the superhighway of our brain. It facilitates messages between the brain to make sure that we get our messages to the right place at the right time so we can act upon them. The scientific research on technology addiction has shown that we have a loss of gray matter in critical areas and a reduced density of white matter within the brain. Even more alarming, are the areas of the brain that are being impacted have to do with motor control, cognition, and motivation, as well as areas that process our emotions, our decision-making, and our impulse control. Generally, the 24-7 access to technology is making us more impulsive, disconnected, anxious, and emotionally unregulated than ever. We know now that the more time that children spend online, the more isolated and depressed they become, and the more time they spend viewing carefully curated, digitally altered social media posts, the more inadequate and depressed they feel. You might be asking yourself, well, how depressed can kids really become?
Well, one recent study that looked at 32 different hospitals between 2008 and 2015 found that their hospital admissions more than doubled for children aged 5 to 17 years old for self-harm, suicidal thinking, and suicidal actions. Another study reports that there's been a 200% increase in suicides among young girls aged 10 to 14, and a 50% increase in boys the same age. Most of these suicides reportedly related to an online incident. The loss of human connection through face-to-face communication, eye contact, and touch is creating a future for our children in which they have the emotional intimacy, the compassion, and the empathy is disappearing. Our society is becoming more focused on the number of likes our post receives instead of on the human connection that like is supposed to represent. Remember these brain scans? I lose sleep over the unintentional damage to our children's brains under the misguided assumptions that technology overuse is totally harmless. Of course, we can't keep our children from technology, or it would put them at a severe disadvantage in a global economy that requires them to be proficient with it. But I am also acutely aware from my education that something as simple as a smartphone can actually structurally alter my daughter's brain and potentially trigger a lifetime of addiction. The world is going to evolve whether we like it or not, technology especially. And technology has undoubtedly been net positive. However, with all of this good comes some bad. The question for us moving forward is not whether we can figure out a way to have a balanced relationship with technology, It is how quickly we can get there, and what is that healthy, balanced relationship going to look like? I have spent my career learning and understanding and talking about the good and bad of technology. Grandma Drake taught me about myself, but most importantly, she taught me that empowering children with knowledge and then trusting them with that information means that they will often make better choices because of it. We can all step into the light together now because I have proof that that actually works. My team and I have been implementing a program where we've empowered kids and parents and educators with knowledge about healthy, balanced technology use. And the results? Children do, in fact, make better choices for themselves and for their friends when they're given the knowledge and the opportunity. This is some data from a middle school that I worked in, not unlike any other middle school, likely in the U.S. or in the world, that had escalating issues with technology-related incidents, cyberbullying, inappropriate posting, plagiarism, even sexting. As the graph shows, their technology-related incidents had gone from 40% to 72% of all of their administrative time dealing with this in only five years. After implementing our program, the results were actually shocking even to us. Educating kids on how to be a good digital citizen 
at the same time as giving parents and educators the tools and the resources they needed in order to support these kids through some change, reduce the overall technology-related incidents by over 50%. It proves that when we trust our children with the emerging science, and when we talk to them about the educational and legal consequences that they're facing in every facet of their lives for the rest of their lives, it gives them good direction on how to make better choices in this digital world. I believe all children want to make good choices given the opportunity, but it's up to us in order to educate them on how to do this in this new world. Everything that we do online is public and permanent. So now that we all know this emerging science, how do we all come together to make a difference in this very real issue of technology addiction? The answer is simply awareness and education. This is an amazing time that we're living in, and this, an amazing group of people who have all come together to devour ideas worth spreading. Technology has enabled us to do so much good, but it is not totally without consequence. Pitfall was a really fun game to play as a kid, but it was essentially a stick figure running across the screen in maybe four colors. <laughs> Today's games, apps, programs, much more sophisticated. And the programmers, as we've learned, highly skilled on our vulnerabilities. It is imperative that we come together and we address this issue boldly, honestly, and without fear. We have the knowledge we need to rise above this. Our children are counting on us to become their Grandma Drake. Thank you. of children check their phones every five minutes? Crazy, right? Hi everyone, my name is Tanner Walton, and today I'm going to be talking to you about cell phone addiction. Now, I may have an addiction myself, but that doesn't mean I can't talk about it. In fact, who knows it better than me? There are many people with addictions to different things, but in my opinion, cell phone addiction is a number one worry. Now hold on a second. I'm sure many of you are thinking that that's not me. I'm not addicted. Now take a second to think about how many times a day you use your phone or just check your phone. What happens to you when you lose your phone? Are you calm and settled or do you freak out? There are actually people who have a panic attack. It's called nomophobia, or as I personally like to call it, no, no phonobia. It is when you panic if you don't have your phone in your pocket or you can't find it. I've seen this happen on many occasions in our house. But don't feel alone. In fact, there are 1.5 billion people in China. 24 million of them are suspected to be addicted to technology. 
That is almost three quarters of Canada's population. It is so crazy that parents are putting their children into institutions to detoxify them of technology. But they are not the only ones having this problem. It's happening in Britain, Spain, and several other countries. And I believe that these detox centers will soon be in Canada. Now, the big question is, why are people so addicted? Well, here's my answer. Take social media for an example. Every single time you post a photo, let's say in the matter of 10 seconds, you get four likes. Well, those four likes may be small, but it affects your mind in a huge way. Those 10 seconds of happiness sends a message to your brain saying, I want more. So then you post another photo and another photo just to see how many likes you get. Now you are spending every five minutes of your day checking to see if someone liked your photo. Even if that someone is from across the world and you've never met them before. That sounds like a pretty big waste of a day to me. But it is not just kids I'm talking about. It's adults too. It's like people don't talk to people. Have you ever been to a restaurant and two people are on a date? They don't even look at each other. They are too busy on their devices talking to someone else or screenshotting their dinner and sending it to someone that isn't even there. Wow, nice date night, great spending time with you and your phone. It's like we live in a virtual world where we can't even feel comfortable with the people we love. We are always looking at or thinking about what other people are doing. There is another aspect of this attachment to technology. We don't even talk to each other in the same household. For instance, some families text each other in the same house. Why don't they just talk to each other? Is it too far away to go up and down three floors? But hey, we still have a generation of people who use the landline to communicate. I swear, every time our phone rings at home, I know exactly who it is. Telemarketers or my 70-year-old grandparents. They just learned how to use a phone. They get mad at us if we don't want to talk for a long time about horses or the farmyard or things that they did way back in the 1900s. But we have more important things to do with our time, like go on our cell phones. We don't have a lot of things to talk about, but hey, they can text us and we'll answer right away. We are available, we just don't want to talk. Okay, okay, there is something seriously wrong with us. I admit it. Hey, hey, what's up? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm actually a little bit busy right now. Can I call you back? <laughs> That's embarrassing. So sorry about that. This is another common problem of today. It's called fubbing. It is a word used to describe when people pay more attention to their device than the people right in front of them. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes when I'm not allowed to take my phone to school or I forget it, my day is drastically different. Imagine going to school to see all your friends and everyone is on their device, talking to someone else, on social media, or playing video games. It's like we forgot about the human connection. It is pretty hard to put your phone down, especially if everyone around you has one. Speaking of human connection, did you know that there are actually signs set up at my local hockey rink to tell people to put their phone away so they can pay attention to their own kid playing hockey? But there's another aspect. It's the sleep. People even sleep with their devices next to them. They use them for alarm clocks or sleep apps to help them get to sleep. It's a chronic problem everywhere. Did you know that the blue light actually affects the release of melatonin in your brain? You need this to tell your brain to rest. That is why some people are so high energy before bed. Having your phone beside your bed has side effects like digital eye strain, increased illnesses, and even car accidents due to lack of sleep. People today even drive with their cell phones. 
They are too busy worried about what someone has to say on their phone rather than paying attention to the road. And I do think we have reason to worry, as cell phones are responsible for a lot of car accidents. Here's a quick fact. Did you know that driving 90 kilometers an hour, reading a five second text message, is equivalent to traveling a football field blindfolded? Wrapping things up, as I think we could all talk about many other problems with cell phones, the one thing that I have found is that we really need to be connecting more with each other. One of the best times in my life so far was going away to summer camp last year, Rock Ridge Canyon, a tech-free camp. Kids were told to leave all devices at home. It was not an option. And yes, I'll admit it, it was tough to give it up for a week. But I'm glad I did, as I had the chance to go on some amazing adventures and make some real human connections with people I still talk to today. I mean, on my cell phone, of course. So if you take anything away from what I just said, it would be, my advice to you is to pay attention to the little things that make you happy. Enjoy the moments that are right in front of you. And as Steve Jobs once said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Thank you. Right now, an unborn child is being socialized online and being liked and commented on. Right now, a child is being born online and being favorited and retweeted, all with the appropriate hashtags. So it's no wonder that 92% of two-year-olds in the United States of America have an online record because parents have been socializing their children since conception. Right now, an infant is getting their first laptop that's soft and squishy and makes noise, and they're snuggling with it. Right now, an infant is getting their first iPhone and learning to tap and swipe all while drooling on it. 92% of two-year-olds play video games because that is what parents are putting in front of their precious children to keep them entertained and quiet. Right now, an 18-month-old is learning to walk while also learning to text and drive. <laughs> right now, a toddler is getting their first laptop designed just for them, not soft and squishy anymore, made of plastic, real keys, feedback, makes noise. They love it for about a week, and then they get bored. Right now, a child is getting a tablet designed just for them, and they love it for about two weeks, and then they get bored. Because what they really want is what mom and dad have and what mom and dad are always on. Right now, a toddler is being potty trained on a specially designed potty to hold their electronic device. Right now, a toddler is learning where to put their device down so that they can wipe while they're learning to go to the bathroom. Right now, a child is taking a nap or going to sleep with the comfort of their technology. One third of pre-K age children in the United States own a full-featured tablet, not a toy, 
but a full-featured tablet. In the United States, you can buy a full-featured Android tablet for $50 or less. Right now, a toddler is finishing up their favorite TV show. And at the end of the TV show, they're being asked to join more fun, continue the excitement online with their favorite characters. Right now, a toddler is playing a game online with their favorite characters and being encouraged to play more and more and more. Right now, a toddler is being coaxed online by a toy that they received with their meal. Right now, a toddler is exploring virtual worlds with a toy that they received for their birthday because playing with it in your hands and using your own imagination is no longer enough to engage with toys. Right now, a child is creating in a virtual world with friends they've met online. Four out of five kids surveyed can't actually tell the difference between an adult pretending to be a child and an actual child, and these are their friends. Right now, a child is on a play date, but not actually playing or engaging with their friends. Children who are spending more and more time on technology are being shown to fall behind on their motor milestones. Right now, a family is out to dinner at a restaurant. I took this picture. Sorry, family. <laughs> Not enjoying each other's company, but each staring into the screen of their choice, completely ignoring the family members. And this is mom, dad, and the children all doing the same thing while they continue to eat. They did it the entire meal. Right now, a child is being exposed to their first hardcore pornographic video because one of their friends told them to type four letters in the search bar. The average age of first pornographic exposure online for a child is 11 years old, and that number continues to decline. Right now, a child is becoming addicted to porn through no fault of their own, but how their brain is designed. Porn sites get more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Right now, dopamine flooding is four times stronger in an adolescent brain than it is in an adult brain. This originally designed for continuation of the species. And you don't actually have to have sex to get your neurotransmitters firing. When you watch pornography, according to your brain, you're actually bonding with it. Nearly 1 in 10 12 to 13-year-olds already fear that they're addicted to porn. Why? Because they can't stop thinking about it. They can't stop thinking about searching for a new video, watching a new experience, seeing something that they haven't seen before. They're looking for more, and they're looking for different, and they can't help it. It's their brain. Right now, a child is sexting with their first love because no one told this child that no matter what the marketing tells you in an app, there is no such thing as a private picture or private video. 54% of college students admitted to sexing when they were minors. This is in stark contrast 
to the statistics we get today when we actually ask minors if they engage in sexting. That number is much lower. So which group is telling the truth? Right now, a teenager is photoshopping their selfie because as a society, we're telling them they're not good enough. Right now, influencers encourage narcissism without knowing the breadth and depth of their impact on their audiences. Selfies account for one-third of all photos on social media for people between the ages of 18 and 24. Right now, a child is looking for a signal because their parents bought them a tablet instead of a phone, and they have needs that need to be met. Adolescents today would rather lose a pinky than give up their phone. Right now, 40,000 spectators are in an Olympic football arena watching a competitive eSports competition because this is this generation's football match. 97% of teens play video games. The other 3% didn't understand the question. <laughs> right now, a child is heading home because of a mandatory curfew in a country. In South Korea, internet addiction is classified along with alcohol, cigarettes, and gambling as an addiction. Society now is sending a message to our children that technology is to be incorporated into every single aspect of their lives. About one quarter of teens admit that they're online almost constantly. And you see this wherever you go, walking down the street, in a store, at a restaurant, at a mall, wherever you are, you see this. Not engaging with the people around them. Right now, you can choose to intervene. You can choose to create healthy technology habits within your family. Right now, you can choose to moderate screen time exposure for your child. Help them understand and create adventures beyond the screen. Get them outside. Get them running around. Get them playing different activities or games inside the home so that their brains and their bodies can develop to their full potential. Right now, you can choose to start the technology conversation and never stop talking about it in your family. Keep those lines of communication open with your children so that when they encounter something that they've never seen before and don't understand what it is, they come to you because you've previously had that discussion and it's part of your everyday life. Right now, you can choose to have the sex talk earlier than you ever expected to have it before. Because you don't want your child learning about healthy sexual habits from hardcore pornography that they're watching online and then making assumptions about. Or what they're hearing about sex from their friends or their friends' siblings. You need to start that conversation.
right now, you can choose to start to assess your child's technology habits. Is it at a point where you can help your child step away from technology and experience other parts of life? Or do you need to bring in a professional that can help your child with a potential addiction problem? Right now, you can choose to explain to your child why they will never again bring a technology device to bed with them. When children bring the devices to bed, they do not sleep. They do not get the required hours of sleep for their minds to fully develop. Help your children be the best that they can be. Right now, you can choose to never bring out your phone again at a meal. You will be, you will be modeling appropriate technology use and behavior in a social situation for your children, and you will help create bonds that are so important between family members. Right now, you can choose to be present for your children, and your children will be present for you. Thank you. going to talk about is what it is like to be a family and what it's like to be a child in the digital age. And my research for 30 years has really been on through lines in the culture, things in the culture that undermine academically talented kids. Actually what really brought me to the research, which I'm happy to share with you, is my experience as a parent. So my children are older and in 1998 when Windows 98 was launched. It changed my life horribly as a parent. It changed our family life horribly. This thing comes into our house called Windows 98, and suddenly I am living with a different 13-year-old boy. Getting him to come down to dinner was impossible. He would dysregulate in ways I hadn't seen since he was about four. And I'm trained both as a, a developmental psychologist and a clinical psychologist, and I was really worried. Like, something is going on between his brain and that thing, and I don't like it. And then I'd alternate and say, oh, it's so cool. He's so good at this. This is amazing. You know, this is a frontier. So it was for me, back and forth and back and forth. And I was right. Something was going on with his brain, but there was no research back then. And there is tons of research now. And it's very hard to listen to because it's very serious. And we're so in love with this stuff and we're so hooked on it. Now you are raising the first generation of kids who have the option of talking or texting. And right now, at least 50% of kids say they prefer texting. So your kids are all smart. For them to be successful and live into their unbelievable potential, social-emotional intelligence is the single most important overarching tool. Texting eliminates two of the most important things we learn 
about relating. Reading the impact of your words on the other person, how what you say makes them feel, and listening, listening deeply. And then responding and showing in your response that you're moved by what the other person says. So families are the language lab, if you will, for this kind of social-emotional learning, as is their conversations here at school all day long with each other. When you text a child, I-L-Y, when you send emoticons, they lose their potency. It, the kids do not hear it in the same way that they hear your voice telling them that you love them. So it's very important to make sure that you are making the connections with the people you love the most. So imagine it's morning in your home, and you're just scrambling eggs. And your child comes to you and says, come on, we got to go. We're going to be late for school. Think about your tone of voice. Now think about your tone of voice if you are texting somebody, and it's important. Can you hear a difference as you think about that? Anybody want to say what you hear when you think about your two tones of voice? Do you hear a difference? You're edgier? Hold on. Wait. No, we're not. Just hold on. Let me finish this. Right. But no, we're not going to be late for school, honey. It's okay. The first thing that goes when we text actually is empathy. The next thing that goes, and your kids have all sorts of interesting techniques for dealing with this one, is your auditory hearing, your capacity to hear. So they talked about how for some of you, they will do this in front of you to get you to pay attention because they've already said, dad, 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 three times. And we take it personally, but it's also important to understand this is how our brains interact with technology. The other thing that happens, and this is really hard on little kids as well as kids of all ages, is that we lose what's called ambient awareness. We lose track of where we are in space and who we are with. Texting and talking is really challenging. And you are raising the first generation of kids who can text. And one of the things we also see in this generation of kids is that the more they text, we see declines in some of their conversational capabilities, empathy, and sometimes ability to read social cues. Now, it's one thing for us as grown-ups to make jokes about being addicted to these devices or to laugh at ourselves. But it's a very different thing when you give your three- and four-year-old or an infant, a smartphone throughout the day. If we look at the research coming out of Asia where there are over 300 therapy programs for five to 18-year-olds who are addicted to technology, we can learn a lot. Because what children are not learning, and what you constantly need to be teaching your kids when there's a long line, when there's a boring car ride, when they have to wait their turn, is how to self-soothe, how to calm themselves down. So Candy Crush will distract them, but it doesn't teach them how to calm themselves down. And we were talking to teachers today about how we see across the board in this generation of kids, for kids who use technology a lot, not for educational reasons, but for recreational reasons, they're not as good at calming themselves down. They have less patience. They interrupt their teachers more. They quit more easily. They want the teacher to get them to the next level because they're used to hitting reset. They do not have the same kind of inner capacity to do what we call deep play because they're so used to the game getting them to the next level and being externally dependent on a device that they're not falling in love enough with their own little creativity. The best example of this is playing dress-up. Dress-up on an iPad versus dress-up in real life. 
Dress up on an iPad is this. Click. Red stiletto, purple stiletto. Click. Matching sneakers or barrette. Click, 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 click. That is not dress up. Dress up is one of the best games for all of you here who have little kids. It's one of the best games for developing the sensorium, the whole platform for learning. You have to be six years old to do this. You can't go back and play catch up. Kinesthetically, it's fabulous. You balance, it's great, right? You're walking around in high heels and boots, things that don't hit you. Fine motor, you're buttoning things, right? Most of all, you are in your own imagination discovering you can keep making up stories. You can keep getting stuck at a quiet place, pick up something new, a boa, I don't care what it is, something, and you go into a next iteration. And when kids play dress up, not online, they talk out loud. They tell the story. And when they're playing with other people, they're co-creating. It's the basis of all the wonderful project-based learning they're doing here, co. And they are not clicking on stilettos, consuming these horrible gender rigid stereotypes for boys and girls, but they're in their own imagination. So we see what happens when we let the magic of the iPad delete the magic of the playroom. The last thing I'll say is that technology is amazing. It's so powerful. It's so creative. It's so exciting. It's so challenging. It will answer all your kids' questions. It will not answer your kids' questions with your values. So when you have little kids, and middle schoolers especially, and they come in and they're doing homework, and they ask you for help, and you say, hold on, wait, honey, hold on. They usually will give you two chances. They'll go out, they'll come back, they'll go out, and they'll come back. Like little Mateo was doing vocabulary homework. He loves language. He and his dad play words with friends. Great. And that day on the playground, he had made a note to himself, I'm going to ask dad this other word, because he was faking it. He wasn't sure he knew the word, right? you got to love an 11-year-old boy who wants to ask his father the full etymological roots of a word. He goes in, Mateo, hold on, honey, I just got, just give me 10 more minutes. Comes in, goes out, twice, gave up, did what any kid would do. What did he do? He Google searched the word, right? Unfortunately for him that night, the word that he was asking his dad was pornography. And he got stuck in a YouTube video that was one of these really gory, sadistic things. But the point is that that was a hard way for his parents to learn about filters. And that's a hard way for them to learn how to self-regulate. And when a child comes in, that's what's so hard. You never know what the question is. Is it something completely mundane, or is it a question that technology will answer without knowing the age of your child? without knowing how to answer it with your values. And technology does not love your children. Tech is a tool. It's a wonderful tool. It's a powerful tool. It can be used in amazingly beautiful ways. It can be used in very dangerous ways. The most important thing is that we not let any new app or our own distractedness delete age-old truths that I don't think have changed, even though the world is changing faster than we can imagine. And that's that children thrive in schools like this, where the parent teachers work so hard to connect to their kids, and in families like yours too, where the parents do the hard work of protecting the quality of time and family connection it takes to really stay connected to our children in real life. Thank you.
welcome back. Hope you guys got some good information off those videos. I hope they will help you. I hope you show these to your kids. I hope that you show other people. I hope you share the show. I think it's very important that you share this show. I think it's, you know, I, wa I want you to share this show over all the rest of them. Um, that's how important this subject is to me. Okay. Um, you know, and also I want to let you all know that, you know, we had nothing to do with these videos. We didn't, you know, write them, make them, produce them, whatever. These are all on them. Um, we do not own any of the copyrights to that. But we are just simply replaying them so this way you guys can get the information. Now, with that said, as far as the realist juggernaut goes, we are moving ahead. And, you know, some things are moving slower than we want them to. But that's okay. Um, you know, it is what it is. Um, I got health issues that I have to work around. Tony's got health issues he's got to work around. But one way or another... We try to get it done. We try to put out at least one to two shows a month. Sometimes it don't happen. Sometimes it get delayed. But it is what it is. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do get into, though, we do a lot of research. So we learn ourselves as well. And that we give you the correct information as well. So, but seriously, though, thank you. I mean, you guys are doing an amazing job. You're sharing us. You're, you're letting people know we're out there, you know. And, uh... Yeah, that number, 228. That's a good number for us. But, you know, we're just starting out. I mean, it's, it is it is what it is. And we try to do our best. We do make our mistakes. Um, we do, you know, we do try our best not to make mistakes. And if we do make mistakes, we try to correct them. But I want everybody to understand, there was an email, I get a few of these every now and then, where everybody asks me, um, you know, what happened to, you know, talking about political situations and things like that. And why did we go from being political to, you know, talking about space? I want you to understand that we are here to talk about everything. We're not here to just talk about one thing. If it's, if we come up with something that's interesting, we're talking about it. You understand? So we're not here to be just on one subject. We're not going to be just one thing. You know, we all got a life to live. And, you know, not everything with me is political. I love my constitution. I love my freedom of speech. I love my gun rights. I love that all. But I also love other things in life. And I want people to learn things in life. I want people to understand where we come from, how, you know, what our thinking's like. So... You know, with that said, that's why things are a little bit different here. The atmosphere is different. And, you know, you know, whether or not, you know, people agree with me or not or are interested in whatever, that's that's the whole point of, you know, check it out. If you don't like it, don't like it. You know, don't press the play button. Don't download it, you know. Um, but if you like it, great. You know what I mean? I hope you guys support us to the end, you know. Um, and, and maybe there'll never be an end. Maybe it'd be so big it'd turn out even bigger than I think. Who knows? I don't know. I, it's just a dream and I'm trying to make the dream come true. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what's going on. So, but we are not going to be stuck on just one subject. Um, now I've had a few emails about, um, the space, the space episodes. And, uh, let me tell you, you know, like, my dream was to be in space. So, you know, um, but that changed, you know what I mean? 
um, it's kind of a good thing probably because my health changed right along with it. So, you know, there, there are reasons for things. So, um, but we just move on in life, but the same thing here, you know, um, we, we, we will do a show that, that conveniences us, that we hope conveniences you to listen. And we hope that you do listen and we hope that you share it. And you guys so far are doing a great job. I really appreciate it. I'm very shocked at the number. I'm not going to lie. So, well, at the numbers, there's more than just that. But that was our best number right there because that's, you know, Apple Podcasts, that's that's huge. So 228, I'm proud of that. Thank you. Um, Also... Um, we're doing different things. You know, I like to be, I'm a photographer, so I like taking pictures. I like, um, obviously I'm, I'm into cameras and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I take pictures and I take good pictures and I have for a lot of years. So I have kind of a lot, a stack of pictures and what I'm going to do is I'm going to be selling them online as stock photos. So the ones that, you know, made it to like, you know, exhibitions or or what you call exhibits you know um and magazines because we have you know those ones i'm not going to sell so i can't um you know maybe one day down the road maybe i will i don't know maybe maybe i'll make them worth a lot you know who knows maybe you guys make me so big that you know they'll be worth a lot maybe I'll sell them then. I don't know. But they are beautiful pictures and you can check them out at www.therealistpics.com. That's www.therealistpics.com. And also, you know, the pictures are on there that you, you, you can buy, but you can't buy them yet. I have not set that up yet. I'm not going to for a little bit now. Um, I will let you guys know when I do set that up, but you can still view the pictures. And when I do set it up, I'll let you guys know. And I would greatly appreciate if you did buy pictures because that's what's going to pay for this, um, what we're doing. It's going to help. Um, you know, I know we're not going to make million dollars off pictures. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it, it will help pay the bills with what we're doing. So, you know, all the Internet providers, they, they, they raise in prices and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it just it's costing way more money to do what we need to do. And everybody's stuck in this situation. So one way or another, we have to cover things. Um, eventually down the road, we will have sponsors and stuff like that that will help get us through as well. Anyways, I appreciate you all. I hope you guys have a great weekend. With that said, my name is John Neff. Have a great night. God bless. God bless.